title of today's message is What Happened? And I know a lot of times we look around at the chaos that's going on today and we think, how did we get here? Well, I want to talk a little bit today about how we actually got here. Uh, But more importantly, I want to remind us who God is and who we belong to. And that while mankind has changed, God has not changed. And is still the direction we should be following. And so hopefully as he touches your heart, you'll see where we need to get back to. And we didn't get here just wake up one morning and, you know, you get a certain party in power, you get a certain president or any one thing happens. No, folks, we have worked really hard as mankind to get us in this mess we're in. And he is the answer to get us out of it. So if you grab your Bibles like your life depended upon it, because it truly does, and turn to the first chapter of Hebrews, beginning with the first verse. I'll be reading through, the, through verse 14. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteously and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above all your companions, by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you will remain the same, and your prayers will never end. To which of the angels did God say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? Are all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? This is the word of God for the people of God. and Thanks be to God. See, the book of Hebrews was written for three groups. It was written for Hebrew Christians in the Jewish community. And the second and third groups were also Hebrews. But not all believers in Christ, one of which was convinced Jesus Christ's work was convinced of Jesus Christ's work, and the other not. This book speaks of a new covenant, and that was the hard part for many of the Hebrews to swallow. Hebrews describes in detail how Jesus not only fulfills the promises of the prophecies and of the Old Testament, but how Jesus is better than anything anyone ever thought before. This book links God's saving power with his creative power. No sin is too big for the ruler of the universe to handle. The name Jesus, or Yahweh, 
given by his father is greater than all other names. There's no other intermediaries or any other authorities greater than Christ. He remains forever and his character has not nor will it ever change. Verse 1 indicates of how God authored the Old Testament. The Old Testament prepared the coming of Christ in that man was not capable of teaching beyond the natural world. We do not discover things. Instead, God reveals things to us. So now, look in the first chapter of John, the 14th verse. The world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh means, as we know, that Jesus came down in human form. In doing so, Christ became the perfect teacher, showing us how God thinks and how we should think. He became the perfect example of how we should live and how we've been given the power to do so. And, of course, he became the perfect sacrifice, satisfying God's requirement for the removal of all sins. The one and only who came from the Father means he was and is the unique Son of God. And the relationship that he had with his Father is like no other. Jesus is completely human and completely divine, allowing us to know God fully. We should not minimize his humanity nor should we minimize his divinity. You know, God wants us to be like Christ. He he wants to dress us up as a a store manager dresses up a mannequin. And the, the mannequin is dressed up in fine clothes that the store manager wants you to buy. God wants us to put on Jesus so that when people see us in the lives that we live, they want that same love and grace that he has for each of them. He wants to allow us to represent him in the world. You know, Jesus also has a great resume. And there are plenty of people that can testify and give him reference. And those are the ones that have experienced him. Not just had head knowledge of him, but they've actually done an interview with him. They've heard from him. They spoke to him. They dig into God's word about him. That personal relationship is what people need to see from each and every one of us. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Well, if you're looking in the mirror in the morning, you see something. Something that needs some improvement. You look in the mirror before you get ready to go to a party and you're looking good. But when you look in the mirror, what does God see? And whether it's in the morning or whether it's you're going out for a party, God sees your heart. All this is the truth. And being the truth, let us look at what happened and how we got to where we are today. So this is not a complete history uh, lesson, but I just want to hit some high points. Some food for thought. Because it's taken us hundreds of years to get to where we are. You see, in the beginning, after Christ died for our sins, there was a paradigm of truth. And at the top of that paradigm was our personal creator, God, in which all truth lies. Below God was created man. So if you'll put up the first, there you go. 
You see, all truth, scientific truth, historical truth, philosophical truth, theological truth, epistemological truth. Okay, that's the last time I'll say that. Which really means, it's a big word, but it really means the nature and the source of truth. And we get the word epistle from it. All these truths were understood to reside with God. And beneath God was created man, who for hundreds of years, it was understood and responded to God's truth. And God's truth laid with our creator. However, this understanding gradually started to change. And I'm going to begin in the 1300s, during the time of Renaissance. It came along saying that we do not need God, because look how great man is. And if you'll put the second slide up there, you'll notice that there's a change there. God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed, but man has. You see, it didn't stop with the Renaissance. It continued on, and then came the era of enlightenment in the mid-1800s. This brought the thought that we don't need God because look how great man is. He can reason things out. In fact, he can reason, reason through sin and reason out the solution. In other words, we've perfected the blame game. It's not my fault. But we do know one thing. God loves us and God wants us to be happy. And so he'll forgive our sins. And so we've got this figured out. You put the next slide up. To understand this better, let's con- I want to consider the direction this is going. I want to consider a painting that I, I saw. The first painting showed a captain of, of a ship, of a wooden ship that's in a storm. And Jesus has his arm on his shoulders And the caption underneath it says, Jesus is the master of my destiny. But during the Enlightenment period, that painting would have changed. It would have had Jesus standing there, but not with his arm on his shoulder. And the caption underneath it would say, I am the master of my destiny. And then along came the Industrial Revolution. During this time, people thought, we don't need God. See how great man is? Look at all the things that we are creating. And we can make things, and we can mass produce them, and we're just on a roll now. And so we don't need God. So you see now that created man is just below God. And then we came to Darwinism. The two questions the previous eras could not answer were the origin of man and the origin of the universe. And Darwinism gave us the explanation of the origin of the universe and the origin of man. And man said, we don't even need the concept of a personal creator anymore because truth resides with us. Look at all the things that we have done. In fact, we can even figure out how to create humanity. And so you see the next slide. And suddenly the personal creator and and created man are on the same level. Out of this process emerged three of the most influential thought patterns of the modern day. The first is one of tolerance. This is described in this way. Stay with me on this. All values, beliefs, lifestyles, and claims to truth are equal. So how can anyone say to someone else, your thoughts are not as good as mine, your beliefs are not any less than mine, because we 
no longer have an external reference point. There is none because to them the creator in which all truth really resides is no longer in the picture. Secondly, there's multiculturalism. This concept of tolerance is applied to culture. It teaches that all values, beliefs, lifestyles are equal. Because how can one culture criticize another? And again, the reference point for truth is gone. And then the third is diversity. And this is the hardest one for believers to wrap their head around. But in the midst of it, different values, beliefs, lifestyles, and claims to truth are all equal. Amidst all the diverse beliefs, they are all equal. In other words, they're all the same. Because how can one belief say to another belief that one is better when they, again, have no reference point? There is, there is none. It is only personal opinion, personal feeling, personal thought. So diversity is, equally in the midst, is, is equal in the midst of diversity. All this progression of history, there is no personal God creator in which truth resides. So only humanity resides. How can one person judge another person? We've got to the point that all truth is created, as is personal opinions, personal perspectives, personal beliefs, and personal feelings, meaning that man discovers or creates truth, and no longer do we need God to reveal the truth. It's taken us years to get to this point. God created man and woman, and we're different. God created us to where we don't all look the same. He doesn't deal with us the same. Our walks are not all exactly the same. But the one thing that is true is we're all children of God, the God that has not changed and will not change. A Barnum group did a survey in 2018 and found that truth is increasingly regarded as something felt or relative, rather than something known or absolute. This is a shift from objectivity to subjectivity in emotions. In 2016, a new word was put in the dictionary, and it was post-truth. The meaning is as follows. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotions or personal belief. Understand as we pass our beliefs on about Jesus, as the emphasis should be placed on feelings, is how we share. Placed on on emotions as we share, but they still should be the truth. In 2017, the Barnum Group said morality of self-fulfillment says each person's feelings are the measuring stick for his or her life. And many believers have adopted this self-centered morality. The most amazing statistic I saw was that 84% of believers, 18 to 29, said they have no idea how the Bible applies to their life today. And 63, 63% of young adults said they would attend church if church presented the truth in an understandable way that relates to their life today. 
The challenge today is not to blame anybody how we got to where we got or give up on the loss of those that don't believe or understand the Bible. Instead, we must first make the truth giver personal in our own lives and foremost in our lives. Then how do we share the relationship with the true giver to others? We live as Christ has told us to live. Rabbi Zacharias said the ultimate pursuit should be the, should be the truth, no matter where it leads you. C.S. Lewis said, good, be, good beats upon the damned incessantly, as sound waves beat upon the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched, their teeth are clenched, their eyes fast shut. First they will not, and in the end they cannot, open their hands for gifts or their mouths for food or their eyes to see. Our denial of reality does not diminish it. It only diminishes us. Each generation, each generation becomes more addicted to the sedatives of life to dull the pain of living. Man cannot control himself if he will not allow himself to be controlled by Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he is controlled by Satan. The Hebrew word truth, as well as the Greek word for truth, can often be translated as reality. For this reason, C.S. Lewis translated John 1.14 as this. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and reality. I can Listen to this quote. I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Abraham Lincoln said that. So we should not be bound by the past and its failures, but we should not at the same time forget them. For they are lessons that we should have learned and not make again. We are created by God for the purpose, therefore, Our lives have meaning. Ultimate meaning is deeper and more wondrous than the physical reality we see around us. It's grounded in the creator who made us for his purpose and made us in his image. Therefore, we treat each other well, seeing one another as his image. We should do this today because we will be accountable and rewarded in his kingdom later. God's truth And his person is central to our element of life and to changing the worldview of who he is. If you'll put up the first slide again, please. I'm sure many of you, uh, when you went to school, you had one of these guys. In fact, you may have been this guy in class, you know, the one that makes straight A's all the time. You know, and you, you have a test and they're the one that they ace it. You know, they get 110 out of 100 on the test. And they mess the curve up completely. There you are sitting with your, as I was about all the time, sitting with a 75, hoping for the teacher to give a curve because, you know, there's people that didn't do as well as I did. And then there's this one guy sitting there that made 100. And rather than giving that guy kudos and then curving everybody else to where they, the 75 was suddenly a B, the teacher would say, you should study as much as you fill in the guy's name as he did. Yeah, he spent 23 hours studying for this test. In reality, you spent 
a thought of studying for the test. You see, those people, they messed up the curve for the rest of us. We wanted 78 to be a B. Well, you know, Jesus has messed up that curve for the rest of us. You see, Jesus came in perfect. He set a high standard for us. And yet in life today, we want to look around and not look at Jesus as the example. We want to look at somebody else whose life we think is more toe up than ours is. And so we want to compare ourselves to them. And then we feel like I'm I'm making a B. When in reality, we're not. Jesus demonstrated the standard of God. And that must be our standard. Not those around us. Not where the world has taken us but what his word says we should be. So may we take one day at a time. Today, after all, is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. People, especially the young, need to and often want to hear about God, not about man. You see, that's not in their DNA. They have manufactured that to be in their DNA. Often people depend upon what man says and how he says it rather than what God says. Because as man, as we speak to each other, we want everybody to feel good. And so we'll sugarcoat something that God does not sugarcoat. And that's the truth. We are called to live a life that demonstrates our love for God. We are not to sit in our comfort zone. We are to make disciples of all nations. We should minister to others And not think we know everything. Let them figure it out. God will move in their lives. I'm just going to sit here. When we do that, that just demonstrates the pride we have for where we are. Matthew 23, 12 says this. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You see, in almost every instance in the Bible, as well as in life, pride is associated with failure, not success. We hear about the inferiority complex, but the superiority complex of pride is seldom spoken. And one of the reasons we do that is because we find out when we are a prideful person, we don't think we're prideful. We just think we're that good. The greatest act of humility was when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But before we enter the gates of heaven, we must acknowledge how far we have strayed from God. Admit that we are, in fact, sinners and that we have broken his laws and that we need his grace and forgiveness. No man can come proudly to the Savior. The priority of Jesus Christ has been established. He is greater than the prophets. He is greater than any revelation in the Old Testament, for he is the embodiment of truth. And for sure, he is greater than any man will ever be. God has fully expressed himself in Christ. So, as I said in the beginning, we did not wake up this morning and find ourselves in this mess that we are in today. Satan has worked through mankind to get us to where we are. There is no blame or finger pointing. Man has made choices and has replaced God's position with himself. 
We need to first take responsibility and seek forgiveness and then get back to the truth. What a wonderful time in this creation that God has made for us to be here. For we have the opportunity to turn this around. I've heard many evangelists say we believe that a revival is coming. Yet I've seen so many Christians sit in their chairs and say, we just need to pray that Jesus comes quickly. But there are so many people out there that are lost and in need of knowing who God is and how much he loves them and that they are children of God. That's the responsibility that we have to share that. That's why we are here, to be his obedient servants, to do what his purpose says we should do. To do his will. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing can come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend Jesus says, I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So may we begin today, individually and collectively as a body of Christ, may we return to the truth and place the personal creator of God back where he belongs in our lives, above us. 